Good morning. How are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. One person's doing great. The rest are just getting through, right? Well, we want to begin. I'm starting, if you notice, a few minutes early anyways, according to that clock. Uh, I'm right on. Well, thank you, John. I am right on time because last Sunday I uh, kind of walked in right on their last song prior to me going up, so I kind of scared them. I scared them so much, the guy sent me, texted me his phone number this morning, the worship guy, and said, well, Glenn, here's my number just in case. So we're going to go. Uh, welcome. Glad you could be here and we can uh, honor and serve the Lord this morning. Let me open in the word of prayer and then we're going to sing a song and get right at her. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. What an honor and a privilege to be in the house of the Lord, to come and worship you, to praise you, uh, to hear from you, to learn from you. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us. That is our prayer this morning. Help us come and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, have you ever tried to watch a movie or a show, especially if you're in a foreign land and you turn on the television and you can only find one in their language and you have no translation written underneath? You know, you, you, you watch it for a while and you can pick up the odd nuances from the actions of the characters, kind of what they're feeling like at the time, but the majority of the message is probably lost to you. In fact, the majority of the time, the words that are being expressed or said simply kind of become noise as you're trying to figure out what's going on, as you're left to try to interpret the actions, because you don't know what they're saying. Well, last week, I spoke of the vanishing conscience in our culture, where over time, uh, and almost right from the very beginning of humanity, we have evaded God's words, avoided truth. We chose to ignore many times what God tried to share with us. And in the process, I said that we've often become calloused or hardened towards the things of God. I talked about how sin is is in one way becoming obsolete and guilt is, is a nuisance. We, we don't want to talk about guilt. We don't want to feel bad. And the bottom line is our sin natures that are inherent in us are pure in form as we watch the news and turn on TV or we look around the world today. Uh, I was reminded again of this so many times this week, not only from my time with the Lord in Scripture, but watching the news. So as part of my devotions, again, I follow a strategy, so it's not like I just pick and choose. I follow a pattern. I'm a little organized that way. And I like that because God will always hit me with something that I need to hear. So I spoke last week, and then I read in Romans 121 in this in my uh, time this that morning, and it said, For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking, and again, note the correlation between someone who chooses not to acknowledge or recognize God in your life, note the correlation, what happens with the truth of your thoughts. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's a natural progression. Why? Because we have a sin nature in us. And if you take God out of the equation, this is naturally going to begin to happen. As I watched the news again this week, I, 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 I just, I, you couldn't have said these words better. Paul could have wrote this yesterday. Because then the very next verse in 28 in Romans 1, it said, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. In other words, just not worth my time to even reason about a God, to consider it. So God gave them over. That's some scary words. 
Again, sin nature inherent in us like a conscience, something we all possess. But basically God is saying here, well, if not me in your life, okay, you get you. You get what you deserve in a sense. So God gave them over basically to themselves to what? A natural progression, a depraved mind so that they do what they ought not to be done. That's going to happen. Do you think the world is running short on things that ought not to be done these days? I don't think so. And it's, a fruit, it's just coming true from what is happening in our lives. You can't say this any clearer to people. If I choose in my life to ignore God, I'm going to pay a price. Period. That's all to it. And it's being played out every single day around you in the news. On, And it's not just in these grand scale of things with these mass shootings and all this type of things. It's evident even in the everyday lives, in the normal people lives, in our lives, like yours and mine. And when you observe people who choose and say that God's laws are obsolete, that somehow they are outdated and they are irrelevant and, and even to use them are close-minded when we choose to live with those aspects of Scripture that maybe I'm only comfortable with, and I tell that to my kids all the time, you can't pick and choose just what you like based on how you feel or your experiences. God doesn't work that way. And if the Scriptures in God's ways only become this odd occurrence that I encounter once in a while in my life when I hit a Sunday morning or on special occasions, and it doesn't become everything to you, then we're in a tough spot where we could be headed down that road, not only to a conscience that is diminished, but also to just a way of life where the language of God is going to become very difficult to hear, even in the church. And so things that are on a spiritual plane, kingdom principles, have a way to many people just becoming noise. They, they hear something, there's rambling going on, but there's no translation and I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. And even for some, when I get going like this, I go, oh, he's getting preachy again. And people can, like my kids, <laughs> as they saw it in their eyes, tune you out. Oh, here we go again, tune them out. When Matthew quoted Jesus in Matthew 6.33, he's, he quoted him saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I said, it's, <laughs> it's not all that difficult to grasp. Glenn, it's not that terribly deep that somehow you have to spend hours on end to, to, to get the original language and the intent and the culture. No, no. Put me first <laughs> and then everything else after. And then I see how often, even in my own life, it's, it's God's not first. He's there. He's important, but he's not first. And then we run into things in our lives that are confusing, and we're left dumbfounded, and we're, we're left asking questions and why. And a lot of times, I know I ask why, and people ask why when things happen to us, because we aren't understanding God's language anymore. It's confusing to us. We haven't spent the time. We lost our natural language. You know, I grew up in a Czechoslovakian home. I remember as a five-year-old child being told, you talk funny, I don't want to play with you. That scarred me, by the way. It really has. I've never let it go. Uh, but in time, I lost the Czechoslovakian language. I lost it. I, I 
I can pick up the odd words, but my, it was great. My parents could yell at me and check. My friends had no idea what was going on. But I lost it. There are a lot of clueless people towards the language of heaven, the words of God. We hear it, but we really don't know what is being said, and we're left, as I said, hearing noise. And when that language is really no longer understood, it's confusing, what happens is, in an effort, we we start to visually look at things, and we begin to fill in the blanks ourselves of understanding, because we're not understanding what God is getting at. I don't quite understand it. I haven't spent the time, and so we fill in the blanks. And that becomes a problem. Because a lot of times that's left into one poor self-interpretation, but as well our feelings and things that have happened to us and, and history and, and all the hurts. And, and so that's not a good thing. And so we say, but we'll throw out good language. We'll say things like, well, in today's day and age, we, we need to not be so outdated. We need to listen to the voice of reason and we need tolerance and we need inclusivity and modernization and, and we need relevancy and we need to be contemporary and so on and so on. And we throw all these things, even within the language of the church. But the Apostle Paul, continuing in Romans 1, says this is where this leads as well, by the way. Although, in verse 22, they claim to be wise, they were fools we're only deceiving ourselves even if we're not living in this outright defiance of God and we're not doing these incredible atrocities we can create an environment around our lives where we choose to exclude God from the majority of what we do and we will and I have become consumed with my own life and his kingdom becomes a foreign place And when Bibles are shelved and not opened, and the only scripture is the plaque on the walls that we read as we walk by, well then soon enough, spiritual things, kingdom things, will just become noise. Because we're not really understanding. And our life is creating that noise. There's a movie, you may not have seen it, you may have heard of it, you may recognize it more so from a title of a song written in 1956 called Walk the Line. It was a movie made on the life of Johnny Cash. And the title was based on the song he wrote in 1956, I Walk the Line. Now, Johnny Cash wrote this song for his new wife, Vivian. In his own words, he says, I suppose I wrote it as my pledge of devotion. Because, you know, up to that point, Johnny had a few issues with morality and things like that. But now, I'm committed. She says, I'm going to write a song. Listen to the words of my, in the song. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends of the tie that binds. He had some church background, by the way. Uh, I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you, Vivian. Uh, but because you're mine, I walk the line. I walk the line. I'm holding to it. Sadly, we know in reality, line became a little crooked. In fact, at one point it became non-existent. All the time on the road, what happened? Well, his eyes were just a little too wide open. I think he forgot about his heart, his promises. I think what he really forgot about was his sin nature, as we all do. And so Vivian left cash. Johnny had to write some new songs for some new people in his life. But he basically demonstrated what we all struggle with, sin and guilt. 
that we need not just more goodness of ourselves in a good song. We need to walk the line. Now, technically, walk the line came back from the 1700s where prisoners were in jail and they were let out in the courtyard and they had either a white or yellow line that surrounded it and they had to stay on the line. If they strayed from the line, they were in trouble. Walk the line. There's some focal point that we have forgotten that we're straying off the line. Let me bring it to a more updated version. I do a lot of flooring. When you ever run into a bigger room like this, especially if you do in the square tiles like in the schools and that, and I've done so many schools I can't even tell you how many, how much time I've spent on my knees doing that. But what happens is I hate doing tile with someone else. Why? Because they don't tile the way I tile. And it's not about perfection. It's about how you install it. And so if I start a big room and then you get a room like Superstore where you can't even see the other side and you start tiling, you think they're square, just put them in and you'll end up going straight. Not a chance. If you're right-handed, you're drifting to the right. If you're left-handed, why? You're drifting to the left. I could, If I don't snap a line, by the time I go 10 feet, I'm already out a couple inches. By the time I reach the end of the room, I am so far off. The guy cutting in on the sides is going, why are you so crooked? I'm going, well, look straight to me. There is a point in my life... Just before I started coming to Daybreak Community Church, I drifted. I drifted severely. Church attendance, guys, was so sporadic. If I had a few Sundays, I was doing well. I used to make every excuse to miss attending. I, I, I didn't even know where my Bible was. I never read it. I, I went years without ever having a church to call home. I found more reasons than not to criticize even when I did go. I became very cynical with Christians. I had sat on boards. I had been pastoring for years. I saw the hypocrisy. I saw the infighting. I heard the comments when I was on the elder board and people didn't like the pastor and he went too long. He went too short. He used too much scripture. He didn't use enough scripture. The one guy counted how many times he used the name of Jesus. I am serious. And that just drove me absolutely bonkers. And I looked at this and I just remember going, everything about faith. And I wasn't mad at God. I wasn't angry at God. I just I just wanted to avoid God. Evangelical shows, they just turned me off on the TV. Uh, And I was an ordained minister, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Emotionally, internally, I was becoming so callous and hard. I worked, I worked seven days a week, minimal 10 hours a day. I was out of town. I said, well, what else am I going to do? Would I bother to visit a church? Not a chance. Weeks turn into months, months into years. And, I, and I'd still call myself spiritual, but I was dead. I was dead inside. Life had become just noise. Spiritually speaking, God was, he may have been moving his lips, but I couldn't understand what was coming out of his mouth. It was a foreign language. And I lived in darkness towards the things of God. I wasn't evil. I didn't hate. I still cared. I still served. I still loved but I wasn't there. I still remember being in Halifax and receiving the phone call. Our son disappeared, and many of you know the story, and I was getting frustrated and and in turmoil and being away. And and then I got that call as I sat, and an hour changed from Halifax to here. It was so far different. (laughs) And my son calls, and I'm going, 
finally, and all I hear is, can I come home? And I said, well, absolutely. And then I said, I got to get home. In more ways than one, not just physically. I needed God. I needed truth. I knew I had strayed far. I remember the morning I decided to crack open the Bible and take literally when he said in Matthew 6.33, first of all, first of all, seek first. And I decided then and there that every morning I am going to crack the Bible first and foremost before I do Facebook, before I check my emails, before I eat, before I go to work, before I do anything. Crack the Bible And give God a chance to speak. It's coming up to a year, friends. Almost the day I came here is when I started it. When I first started here, I was cynical. (laughs) I'll be honest, you know, sometimes five, six people. And I just say, whatever, I don't have to do anything. Not a lot of people to bug me. And I could put up a front, but inside I was as distant as you possibly could believe. Psalms 107 kind of demonstrated they talked in a physical manner, but it hit me in a spiritual. It read in verse 4, Some wandered in the desert wastelands. That was out east, by the way, in Ontario. Uh, Finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in the trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. It's not rocket science. It wasn't years of deep theological insight that suddenly sparked this. It wasn't 48-hour fasts. It wasn't all-night vigils of prayer, as good as these may be. It was seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Everything else will follow. And I made a choice. I haven't been this consistent ever. Period. Ever. I grew up in the church since I could crawl. I pastored for years. I have never given God opportunity like this. I don't say this to brag. I say this to share the reality of the truthfulness of God's Word. Purpose, hope, focus, contentment, joy. Every day... God wants to speak to us. And there's so much that we're taking in. And so again, this week, one of my devotions hit me in Romans chapter 15, where it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, verse 5 says, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind, one voice, we can glorify God. It takes effort, it takes discipline, it takes determination, it takes prioritization, but the end results have been glorious for me. It was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Matthew, in the text I read earlier, when he said, first seek the kingdom of God, is actually a verse sandwiched between worry verses. <laughs> Jesus is saying, what are you, why are you worrying? Why are you worrying about the clothes and the food and the drink you eat? Why are you worrying about the next day? It's sandwiched in there. I woke up this morning. 
I was really worried. First thought in the morning. Got up at 4, said way too early. Then got up at 5. And I was worried because I was nowhere prepared to give a message today. It's just been one of those weeks. And I just go, and if you know me, how I prepare is, it's, if there's one area in my life where I get a little carried away, it's, it's how it's written. I spend way too much time. And then I don't even follow it anyways, but it's just the way I am. And I woke up, and I said to myself as I jumped in the shower, well, technically, if I'm working on a sermon, it's like a devotion. And so I went from the shower. Dad's house coat I've been wearing for years, my comfort. And I head to the computer room. I didn't make it because God said, no, seek first. Went downstairs to my little devotional place, cracked open the Bible, knowing that, oh, I'm not going to be good for this morning. That's all right. And that's where he gave me Matthew 6.33 this morning. I didn't have it before. (laughs) Seek first his kingdom. All I did was smile, read, and listen. We're going to have communion this morning. And ironically, 1 Corinthians 11, communion, (laughs) text that pastors use all the time, is in the context of some pretty hard words written to people who were claiming to know God, but obviously were living differently. And in this, Paul is talking about, I have no praise for you guys at this time. I'd be like right in this church going, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with how you're doing this. I'm not happy how you, you just, you're not there. You have drifted. They're fighting over who can eat at these meals surrounding communion, and their people weren't even getting food. And everything about God wasn't in the church of God. And Paul says, "Guys, what I went through, <laughs> in a sense, Jesus said, I, I draw the line here, and the line is my sacrifice for you, my commitment." For you, the hope and everything that entails in the promises of God that can be yours if you would just step out in faith and trust me and focus on something that has got to guide us. Because when we don't, again, you may not be a mass murderer, but in your heart you may be. And I've seen it in churches. I says, I'm not so sure I see that much hate on the job site when it comes to people not getting along. So I know we're all potential evil dwellers because I know sin nature. And if, if, if we're not drawing that line and following it, friends, we're going to drift. And now, years ago, I didn't think I was speaking from experience, and now I know for a fact. And so God came and said, I'm going to give you hope. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he spoke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then we read, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. There is a reason that Paul says, examine yourself. Because he said, guys, the church is so bad right now, he had to pen these words. He said, if you're eating and drinking this, and he goes, in an unworthy manner, you are guilty. There's that word. You are guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. Everything that he stood for, everything that he did. Therefore, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. That must never stop. We must never allow ourselves to avoid the truth that has got to guide us, and it's the Word of God. It's the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we honor God the Father in our lives and all that we do. We make mistakes. We blow it. But he allows us to come back. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you again. This time, this opportunity to stand, to proclaim what you did on the cross for our sins, that our account has been taken care of, our righteousness from you has been credited to ours, and now we stand guilt-free. And what an incredible gift. But that doesn't mean we're not any more guilty of doing dumb things. We prove that every single day. So, Father... Guide us, bring us on track, help us to keep focused on you and your word and honor you in all these things and love as you've called us to love. In Jesus' name, amen.